it's kind of blowing my mind how many authors like I'm able to book. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. I think I know what's going on, but I'm not entirely sure. And here's what I'm thinking about all of it. I'm thinking everyone's just fucking sitting at home. And like most things in life, you're never going to get the things you want unless you go after them, right? So none of these authors are hitting me up, (laughs) right? I'm emailing every single person that comes on this podcast. Um, And just like the dogged determination that I have to kind of just try to get it up and off the ground is really what's moving me forward because I can't really tell if anyone's listening to it. <laughs> I, I get some YouTube clips, right? You, know, you can see the views. And I, people on SoundCloud, I can see they're listening to it, but I have no idea who's listening to it on Apple and Spotify. But like, if I end up doing, you know, 50 of these episodes, 100 of these episodes, you know, even if I stop now, It's such a comprehensive and, like, fucking heady group of thinkers and creatives I've already had, like, the pleasure of talking to. And, like, I was just walking the dogs right now. I'm in the van, right? Dropping them off. And it was just, it was, it was just crazy. Like, I was thinking about it. I'm like, I got three responses today from people I didn't think they were going to respond. And they did. And they're all going to come on the podcast. And, like, I don't get nervous about what I'm going to talk to about them. I get 20 times more nervous about doing these little rambles. But uh, <laughs> but I was told I people like them, so I'll do them. But, yeah. It, and talking to all of them and just, you know, when I'm listening back and editing these things, you know, I have to find these clips. You know, I'm the producer of the show, too, obviously. So I'm finding all these clips. I'm finding like the juicy things to, you know, to edit down and make little YouTube videos of. Um, and it's been dope. It's been a lot of fun. Because uh, a lot of, you know, when you're talking to someone for 30 minutes, an hour or whatever, you know, sometimes I kind of like, I don't zone out, but it's not easy. <laughs> like, especially on, on the phone. The phone is the toughest. The Zoom podcasts are dope because I can see them at least, you know. Um, but yeah, the phone podcast, that's like, you know, doing like radio. Um, yeah, when they would call in and, and like, you know, Howard Stern would pick up the phone and have, you know, have no idea who was on the other side. <laughs> um, yeah, so I got a whole bunch of cool shit coming on. I need to figure out a way to get, you know, more people aware of this. You know, and again, the cool thing with podcasts is like, they're not going anywhere. So once someone finds it, they'll have that whole backlog. But yeah, I just want to, yeah, just help share it, you know, because I think this is super fucking dope. Um, I don't really know any other podcasts that are kind of doing what I'm doing, you know, right now, at least when it comes to the book world. Um, but yeah, yeah. So again, yeah. All right, cool. <laughs> uh, check this next episode out and share, please, on Twitter and Instagram, uh, writing friction and subscribe to the YouTube page, check out those clips. Um, and yeah, all right. I'll see y'all next time. Thanks. What's going on, everyone. Welcome to another episode of writing friction. And as always, today's guest is pretty cool. Everyone say hello to Julia Phillips. What's going on, Julia? Hi. 
How are you today? <laughs> I'm, pretty, <laughs> I'm pretty good. Yeah. I'm, I'm loving the idea of the podcast audience, everyone saying hello. It's, in their own separate places. It's kind of pretty cool. People are digging it. Um, you know, it's amazing the reaction I'm getting because I've been having so many different kinds of authors on um, yeah. who write about all different kinds of things. And it's interesting. Yeah, the people who give me feedback, uh, it, it's 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 often quite quite a trip, quite a trip. I love that. Yeah, but right before, right when you called in, um, I knew I was going to talk it off the bat. Um, so everyone knows you were talking to two people from New Jersey, not just one this time. <laughs> Um, <laughs> one person from New Jersey is normally enough. Um, and you, so you were, you're from Montclair, right? I am. Yeah. I spent my whole childhood, um, ages four to 18. Did you write, Montclair. did you write your first pages in Montclair? I, I think I must've, I think I learned to write, you know, I learned to write letters in Montclair for sure. I mm -hmm. think, um, and wrote some childhood novels that, uh, a lot of epic, novels about girls lost in the woods and being raised by wolves. I think that was my second grade novel. I'm very, very proud of it. In, the, in the woods of New Jersey. That's kind of a, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the Garden State, man. So, so <laughs> I mean, you're, you're talking about second grade. Were you were you writing that early on? I think I, I definitely wanted to be a writer that early on. It seemed, I really loved books, and so it seemed like an exciting thing to want to be. But it, it all seemed very... Um, you know, I, I also wanted to be like an astronaut veterinarian. Mm -hmm. um, being being an author seemed as impossible as anything else, or as possible as anything else. And so when you're writing those first couple of things, I mean, obviously, if you're a kid, you know, you're writing for fun. But like, at what point do you actually think to yourself, all right, you know, I'm going to go to school for this. I'm going to live in Russia. I'm going to write a novel. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, at what point do those kind of ideas start formulating in your head? I, I had... A real advantage. I loved to advantages, but one was that I grew up in a house. My mother's an actor, so oh, I grew wow. up in a house where, um, you know, there was a working artist who um, kind of showed every day, like, "Oh, I'm going to appointments now. I'm going to an audition now. Like, here, there, here I am in a commercial. Here, you know, and and was a very consistently working artist. And because of that, I think it seems possible to me pretty early on to be a working artist, too. It was, um, she was a really great role model in that sense. And so certainly by high school, I was pretty determined to be a writer. And I had big ideas and plans of how that would come to pass. Um, it, it turned out just a little bit differently than I had, you know, planned at 14. But <laughs> certainly I had these ideas of like, well, you know, you get an MFA and you start publishing short stories mm -hmm. and you, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, which, and that sort of early idea of what a writer's career looked like, I think I still cling to it in some ways or imagine that that's how it should go. Well, that's what I was going to ask. I mean, now that you've pursued that writer's career and does it still seem that way is that still the route i mean you're talking to a guy who toured in bands for almost 20 yeah. years and then i decided to start writing at 30 so if anything yeah, i want yeah, totally. i went the opposite route um totally. but looking back on it now i mean you know for people listening to this i mean is that the way is that just the way it goes you you go to the school you get the mfa you do this you do that and then bada bing bada boom it happens or now that you're on the other side of it, do you see some flexibility in that route, having met other authors? I, I definitely see flexibility in that route, and yet I'm surprised by how... Well, so I don't have an MFA. That didn't end up being my um, 
past. There it is. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, um, and yet still, I every year, I'm like, should I apply for an MFA? Is that going to make me a real right? You know, yeah. including this past fall after my book was out, I was like, I think I need to apply for an MFA still, in order really? to be a real... Yeah, yeah, totally. That's crazy. Um, <laughs> in some ways, it's crazy, but in other ways, you know, it, it opens up. It, oh, it has some costs and some benefits. Mm-hmm. It seems to me from the outside, it opens up some career possibilities. Uh-huh. Um, that, or, or it doesn't. I'm really not sure. It's it's still a bit of a um, foreign land to me. The whole kind of academic writing world, mm-hmm. and I think that I think definitely the expectation I had was a sort of like. Bada bing, bada boo. <laughs> very, very Jersey. Um, but, you know, kind of like you do the right thing and then you do the next right thing and yeah. then the next right thing falls into place. Yeah. And if you just um, sort of line up all the dominoes, then they'll all fall down into this perfect career. And uh-huh. I, I've been really, this, I'm very, very early in my career. And yet um, it's been shocking to me at this point to look around and realize how much has happened just out of sheer luck and um happenstance and that had like very little to do with me you know diligently writing my mfa application and then getting into this great program and then blah, 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 you know kind of well you say luck those cards yeah you say luck and luck has always been kind of an interesting word to me because you know being lucky is being at the right place at the right time but also uh-huh. being prepared right yeah. so i mean i'm sure you spent hours and hundreds and hundreds of hours alone writing (laughs) that, you know, when these things were about to happen, you know, you were mentally prepared and also, you know, artistically prepared. Um, Yeah, Yeah, I was talking talking with a friend of mine uh, a couple years ago and we were talking about, um, you know, waiting for lightning to strike, but like being in a, being in an all metal suit and kind of parading around in the field waiting for it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, the idea of people thinking it's going to happen, you know, luck happening to them without putting in any of the work. I, I mean, to me, that's not lucky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that's pretty crazy. So you started writing out short stories in the beginning, right? Before you kind of took on the idea of a full novel. Uh, let me think. It was almost sort of conflated. I think I always wanted to be a novelist and I thought that short stories was the way to get there. And so when I was, let's see, thinking about, um, when I was in college, for example, yeah. I was, I was trying to write short stories and send those out. And also I was in writing workshops in college and trying to prepare short stories for those. And I was also working full on a novel um, at that time. And and for a while after college that I was very determined would be my first published book in which very, talk about luck, very luckily was not. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Okay. Interesting. You say that. I mean, so does that first novel still exist somewhere? It, it exists on my computer. Yeah, exactly. Okay. It seems to be a running I, I, theme. I wish, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember um, I queried agents really, really aggressively with that one. And I remember an agent calling me on the phone and I was, you know, obviously so excited. I thought, you know, this is it. This is when it happens. And she was just being very encouraging and nice and said, you know, I'm not going to do this. But I, I want you to know that I've had clients who wrote eight books before, you know, eight, eight manuscripts before their first book was published. And I was like... This is the worst phone call. Literally, I know. Yeah. Why are you telling me this? But now I feel a little bit more um, even killed about it. But at the time, I thought, you know. I, I hate you. Very true. I mean, I, I, I my first book got published 
three weeks before the world shut down. And oh when God. I was when I was querying that book, um, I mean, I got rejected by over seventy different literary agents. And yeah, yeah. you know, and the best thing that they can tell you is, you know, I, I love it, but this is not the right book for me. <laughs> totally. uh, um, and totally. you know, so like you said, when you got that phone call, you're like, "Oh my god, it's happening!" Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I've I've talked about this on previous episodes of uh, the same thing. You know, when I got that first email, I'm like, yeah. "Oh my god, this is it!" Uh, and now I'm going to get 17 more emails, all bidding over my book. Well, that of that, course, that, yeah, absolutely. that mm-hmm. did not happen. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, the 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 first novel. I mean, you know, I've talked to authors who have taken their first novel and you know thrown it in a volcano. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. But when you're so when you're working on those short stories and you're working on a, that novel, are you the kind of author who's able to kind of jump in between different projects easily, or are you the kind of author who's just one thing at a time until it's done and then the next thing? That's a great question. I don't know if I'm able to jump in between different projects easily, but certainly for me, working on a novel-length project takes a really long time, or really, you know, many, many years. And because of that, while I'm doing that, I'm writing shorter things too, um, both fiction and nonfiction, when the occasion arises, because Mm -hmm. otherwise it it is quite... um, like stultifying it's, it's really difficult for me to just work on this one thing in privacy mm-hmm. that no one's seeing that is sort of an idea that I'm holding mm-hmm. and treasuring for years and years without any other um without anything else going on so, so it's not that you're necessarily necessarily looking for feedback right for this project that you're working on for reassurance but you get reassurance maybe from working on other things and kind of yeah. just taking a, a deep breath and stepping away from it Yes, yeah, yeah. I feel like for me, the phases where I'm seeking feedback in the novel are um, very exciting and take a while to get to and then a while to um, incorporate that feedback afterwards. So in the life, you know, it might be a a couple of years out of the decade that I'm I'm workshopping pieces of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And because of that, exactly right. It's nice to have feedback or, or sort of participate in the writing world with some shorter pieces. Have you ever gotten stuck up on people's feedback? Maybe things you didn't want to hear? (laughs) I... Or editors that maybe, you know, I mean, again, writing is such a sensitive thing. Yeah. Coming from the music world, it was very easy for me to be like, you know, like if I play a guitar riff, my bandmates like, that riff sucks. Um, Yeah, yeah. Because music is an instantaneous feedback. But, you know, when when I send, when I give some of my stuff for people to check back into, you know, to read, you know, over for me. Um, yeah. You know, th- there's a sense of vulnerability, vulnerability there. Oh, you know, absolutely, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, these are your thoughts on the page, even if it is fiction. It's still part of you. Um, so when you're when you're doing that, do you have certain people that you give your stuff out to that you just trust their feedback and? Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely have. Um, I ha- I'm in a couple of writing groups that are absolutely foundational getting the feedback of the people in those groups it just means everything to me oh, yeah. i trust them completely and and it's so i think for me that sort of um sharing the experience of workshopping or experience of sharing your work with other people around you other people that you trust readers that know what you're trying to do and believe in what you're trying to do and then getting their feedback mm-hmm. that is so important to the development of the work i, I don't I don't know how I would do it on my own. That that being said, I could probably, I'm sure, 
I'm trying to think of, you know, what, what did you say before? Um, feedback that was sort of paralyzing or that got me really stuck. Or maybe that wasn't what I, you wanted to hear. <laughs> I've, definitely, I've definitely gotten lots and lots of feedback that wasn't what I wanted to hear. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, lots of folks responding to work and, you know, work in development and even work when it's over in all sorts of different ways. I think I could probably stand to um, absorb more feedback. Mm. I, I have a, I really foster a, a kind of artistic delusion in myself where I I'm like, this is the best. I am the best. This is amazing. <laughs> uh, they just don't get it. Well, you need and, that, though. <laughs> yeah, I think you do need it. I think you really, you need both. You need to be able to hear people and to sort of be able to shut them out and tell yourself that you're just, you know, you're doing your thing and no one gets it yet, but soon yeah. they will. Yeah. To me, that, that's that been a really, really, really important thing. Um, it has also, I, I feel that it is an attitude that's taken me down the path I'm on to good degrees and bad degrees. I, I, for example, that first manuscript, I got a lot of feedback on that. <laughs> that was like, okay, move on to the next project. You know, you, you've done everything you can with this one and now it's time to move on. And I was like, they just don't get it. Really? Interesting. Well, yeah. well, I don't mean to cut you off. Um, I yeah, recently, please. I recently had uh, Christine Scott on and you know, she's been writing. She's since, the best person in the world. She's, she's the she person. was so, so nice. Um, a genius. And she's been writing forever. And she said, the name of the book escapes me, but I think it was her first kind of book that broke her. Um, and she said, oh, she night, said Nightwork, maybe? It could have been. I, I don't, I don't yeah. want to speak out of, out of term. Yeah, but, yeah, totally. Um, uh, but she had said that when she got rejected by everyone, she went back, she was looking at this book, and she kept telling herself, she's like, no, this is good. I know what I have. I'm going to keep going with it and eventually found a little publisher and, you know, again, bada bing, bada yeah. boom. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, but you know, yeah. hearing her talk about that, I mean, you know, it's so e- – I mean, again, going back to the yeah. idea of writing being such a emotional thing – personal thing it's so easy for writers to a get caught up in their own personal doubt but then mm-hmm. get caught up in the doubt of outside forces um yep. and to barrel down and really kind of just do the work and like you're saying tr- you know no one really gets it right now but i know what's up i'm gonna do right. it and just trusting yourself totally totally 100%. you know it's it's like it's like um if you're a baseball player, right, you practice all yeah. day. The idea is to set and forget. So that way when, like, you know, the ball's coming in the air, you don't have to think about the thousands of balls you've caught before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you have to trust in your ability. Um, yeah. So do you ever deal with that kind of doubt when you're working on a new oh, project? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I mean, like, how do you go about d- battling that? Um, one thing, I think Jamie Attenberg, I think I read Jamie Attenberg saying this, like, a few years ago, and it really stuck with me, which is that, the the roller coaster of emotion where one minute you think this is the best thing that's ever been done mm-hmm. i can't believe how exquisite this is and the next minute you're like this is the worst thing that's ever happened oh, yeah. i should you know hide away from humanity for the rest of my life mm-hmm. that is everyone goes on that for every i mean christine scott i remember <laughs> talking to her a couple years ago and i was like does it get easier you know by the time you're doing your sixth book or your seventh book and she was like no it just gets more and more horrible that's every what time. she said I, yeah it's so funny yeah. she's so funny and brilliant and and so I think about how the fact that I feel that way doesn't mean that the process is going wrong. It actually means the process is working. I mean, you know, it means that 
I'm it's a, a process. Feel, yeah, it's a process, and and it and it makes us feel vulnerable and unsure and full of doubt, and that's that's what it's supposed to be. I mean, that's what it's all about. Um, so when I feel that way, I I try to remind myself, like, I don't need to. This isn't a sign that something is terribly amiss. It isn't, you know, an indication that I need to stop working on this. It's just I just need to write it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and. So I definitely, I write it out by, by indulging it. I'm like, oh, this is terrible, and I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> Which I wouldn't necessarily recommend to others. Well, I mean, it, it, it's such a human thing, and, you know, I'm, I'm going to make a hard left turn here, but we're going to kind of keep yeah. it in the same way. You know, um, you're, you're a girl from Jersey who ends up in Russia, yeah. right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, not everyone can hop on a plane to Siberia. Um, yeah. You know, there's a lot of doubt that goes along with that kind of thing. Can you kind of talk about how a girl from Montclair <laughs> ends up in the Siberian Peninsula? Oh, so I, so I was really interested in studying Russian. So I, I, I had this ambition to be a writer. I, Anyone Russian in your family? No one Russian in my family. When I, maybe you're Dostoevsky's <laughs> like great, great granddaughter or something. No. <laughs> yes. That's it. That's all, you know, it's all in the blood. Uh-huh. No, I, um, not at all. I, when I was a middle schooler, I um, went to summer camp, also in Jersey, in North Jersey, and I had a Russian-American camp counselor, and I had, like, an insane crush on him. I thought he was the cutest person in the world. Uh-huh. And, and he spoke some Russian, and I was like, wow, Russian is fascinating. Russian, I, I really want to learn Russian. And after that, you know, lost touch with that person instantly, but uh-huh. um, got very compelled. You know, I started listening to you know, more Russian being spoken and reading Russian literature and learning about Russian history. And, and it kind of took on a life of its own, this interest. I, I, I feel when there's a certain age for me around, you know, 12 years old, 13 years old, where the influences I encountered then ended up shaping my whole life. Mm-hmm. Like it's still the music I listen to. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, you know, yeah. like it's, it just became really kind of fundamental and, and Russian studies, became that for me. Mm-hmm. So I studied Russian um, in college and spent, you know, studied abroad in Moscow and, and really wanted to go back and really wanted to hop on a plane to Siberia. And um, it's quite challenging logistically and financially for a million different reasons. So I yeah, how do you even get to Siberia? <laughs> <laughs> Like on a plane or like... I'm assuming it's by a plane. Yeah, I mean, are there flights from like Moscow or St. Petersburg that far out east? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh So so that's what I ended up doing. It's like an 11-hour... From New York, it's an 11-hour flight to Moscow and then a nine-hour flight to Kamchatka, which is um, where my book is set and where um, I ended up being for about a year the first trip and then like a season, the second trip. That is um, gnarly. Um, it was gnarly. It was awesome. And I then ended up, I want to say like for writing, <laughs> for anyone out there who is interested in writing and not necessarily Siberia or Russia, but you know, traveling through writing. Um, I went there on a Fulbright grant mm-hmm. and I, whenever I talk to folks about it, I'm like, I really recommend it to you. I really, re-, and everyone's like, Oh, ha ha ha. Yeah. You recommend this. Like, sure. I recommend, you know, getting a road scholarship or something. It's not, <laughs> not to besmirch the name of the good name of Fulbright. It's not a road scholarship. And like the year I applied, so I applied twice. I was waitlisted both times. Uh-huh. And, um, each year, my chances of getting the grant were about one in four. Okay. Um, 
And thinking about the writing world and, you know, when we, like, send our work to a literary magazine, our chances of getting published are 1 in 10,000. And I was doing that all the time. All the time. And Yeah, and so the idea of applying to a full, like, the full bike application was more intensive. (laughs) It's just another thing. And actually, your chances are a lot better. It's really, like, a lot more achievable to do. And it it gave me, I think, 30,000 bucks and, and support to live in... Kamchatka for a year. It was extraordinary. What do you eat for breakfast there? What did, oh God. <laughs> it just made me like hungry. So you like shots of vodka and like, you know, quail I eggs not, or I something. Not, no, no. <laughs> I did not have shots of vodka. Uh, like maybe once or twice I had shots of vodka for breakfast. But um, they had really, they have really good, and I, I miss it all the time, really good like dairy products. Like, um, Most deaf. Like, yeah, like, like yogurt and like cottage cheese yeah. and uh, farmer's cheese. So I had I would have farmer's cheese and preserves, like berry preserves that people would give me and jars. And it was just the best every single day of my life. I'm like, why aren't I eating that right now? Right now, yeah. Well, living in New York City, I guess it's a little different <laughs> yeah. than uh, Siberia. That's all I want. That's all I want. A bacon and egg sounds pretty good too. Um, yeah. <laughs> but wait, so but how, I mean, so you, you're growing up, you're obsessed with Russia, you meet this Russian yeah. camp counselor, whatever. Okay, now... Did you know you wanted to write about Russia? I knew I wanted to write about Russia by the time I was doing the Fulbright application for that. So that was in 2009 uh, when I first did the application. But the idea for the novel was not in your head yet. The Let me see. I in my application, in my initial application, I say I want to I'm applying for a grant in creative writing to move to Kamchatka <laughs> to write a, a set of interlinked short stories Got set it. in Kamchatka. And so, and I said at the time that it would be about um, ecotourism. It would like be centered around people who work in tourism, <laughs> which like I was never going to, I knew it was never going to be that, but it, it it's very concrete. And I had some, I knew some people there who worked in ecotourism that were willing to support the application. And it just, I knew if I if I was lucky enough to get it, I would not be sort of tested on how faithful I was to the application later. Mm-hmm. Um, so, <laughs> so it was kind of like I, me in Birthright Israel. Yeah, continue. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you're like I'll take I'll take this trip. Um, I I so so by that time, certainly by the time I was doing the application, I knew I wanted to write about Russia. I knew I wanted to write a novel about Russia, and more specifically, a novel about Kamchatka. Um, and I think I really develop that determination to write fiction set in Russia because through college I was studying creative writing and Russian and I wanted to find a way to combine the two mm-hmm. um, Makes and, sense because it seemed like I was spending a lot of time doing each and and if I did both together then it would help me with both and correct me if um, I'm wrong but Russian is considered the hardest language to learn right I you know what I I I don't think it's super simple but I think it's not super hard okay. either um that is it has some similarities to other languages it has a, a you know different alphabet it has a cyrillic alphabet yeah. so it uses a different alphabet than english but it's not um to me I, I always thought a tonal language would be a lot harder to learn um like languages where you have to sort of have the ear for them mm-hmm. and uh russian does have a really appealing grammatical structure okay um that is like words change their endings depending on where they are 
in a sentence, okay. depending on, you know, whether the object or the direct object or, um, I think I, object and direct object, subject and direct, you know, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know any grammar. The yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, it, it, and and, and, and it how much this, yogurt they ate too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it has um, an inherent logic, which is not just its own, you know, which other languages too, too. And that was really appealing to yeah. me and made it make a lot of sense. That being said, my Russian skills, the best they ever, you know, I studied Russian for, I lived in Russia for about two years and I studied Russian for probably seven or eight years. And I never achieved um, total fluency. Mm -hmm. But that is, I think, a, a reflection of my lack of language skills rather than the difficulty of the language. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so, so you show up there. And I mean, not to get too specific, but I mean, again, you have this idea, you want to write these collected short stories. When did you kind of realize, well, no, this is going to be maybe better off as a novel or did you ever, or did someone else tell you that? <laughs> that is okay. So I got there when I got there, I knew I wasn't going to write about ecotourism. I, I still wanted to write sort of a, a collection or I wanted to write something that had many different characters and that covered a lot of ground because I wanted to meet as many people and see as many places there as possible. This was still sort of um, feeding out of my Russian studies interest. Yeah. And, um, and I started working on the, I was you know taking a lot of notes and meeting a lot of people and having a lot of experiences. And when I got back to the U S after that year, I started to assemble it and write some fiction and think of it, you know, I kind of decided on the structure as the structure that exists now in the published book in Disappearing Earth, which is um, all these different, basically it starts with the disappearance of these two young girls and then it follows a year through this community and every chapter is from a different woman in the community's point of mm -hmm. view. Mm -hmm. And, and it's all in the kind of like backbone or under the large umbrella of the girl's disappearance. Yeah. So we see all these different people, but it, they are all kind of different facets of or reflect different entrances into this case. And and I started working on that as soon as, you know, pretty much as soon as I got back from uh, Russia. And I thought of that as a collection of short stories. Mm -hmm. So So I wrote that. I I think I had the second draft. It still had the same, really the same exact structure it has now. All the chapters were in places, you know, I drafted all the different chapters. When I read through the full draft of the manuscript, I realized that the girl's disappearance was much more interesting to me. Um, I wanted to give it more room than it had on the page already. Mm -hmm. And that the more I enhance that, the more the kind of like thematic connections and um, ideas and character traits that I was trying to convey came through. So, so the stronger the actual backbone of the plot was, the stronger the entire work was. Yeah. Um, so I started trying to, to kind of ramp that up. At that point, I thought of it as I was calling it in my head a novel and stories. Okay. And to be honest, <laughs> I still think of it as a novel and stories. Uh -huh. I think of it as as one story, you know, one larger story that's composed of many different stories. Yeah. Um, I so talk about Christine Scott in twenty fifth, no, twenty sixteen. I went to the Sewanee Writers Conference where, and Christine Scott was my workshop leader, and completely blew my mind and uh -huh. changed my life. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> and at that conference, there was uh, an editor talking about uh, on, on a panel, and <laughs> and he was very he was very confident. He was very impressive and very intimidating. And um, and someone asked about novels and stories, and he was like, "That doesn't exist. There is no such thing. Never heard of it." that's not that's not real he was like either it's a novel or it's a short story collection and i went up to him afterwards and i was like so upset because there at that point i'd been working on this you know novel and stories as i thought of it for seven years in one form or another and i was like what the fuck yeah so, so i went up to him and i was like well what about like a visit from the goon squad and i, I would have said uh, that, you know, what about I was, that, was, that was the book i was about to say yeah yeah like, what about you know like it wasn't it wasn't published yet like what about there there like what you know what about all these different i mean different the, the one that just won the pulitzer prize the overstory by richard powers yes, that's literally yes. what we're talking about and, and he was like, nope, nope, nope. He was like, it's Amazing. a novel or it's a collection of short stories and that's it. And I said, and I thought, well, okay, if it's a novel or a collection of short stories and that's it, I'm going to call it a novel. Like, yeah. It is a novel. And so, and that was, you know, six, nine months before I sold the book. So at that point, the conception of it as a novel, nothing really changed, you know, in by any means in the structure. It was only what I called it in query letters or, or now on the cover of the book it says a novel well there it is i mean it's almost a form of rejection helping you right this guy telling yeah, totally. you telling you something can't be done or it can't be this or it can't be that and yeah. you're like all right well what the fuck all right then uh <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, you know, again, you're much more involved in the book world than I am. I'm still very new to it, but man, I'm learning more and more. It's a very, um, uh, I don't want to use the word like antiquated business, but it's an interesting business of how they do things. I mean, you, you know, like the, like the music publishing world has had to adapt dramatically. Um, and you know, they're still having issues with it, but they're open to change. It's like in yeah. the, in the book world, man, it's like, it's still 1974. Uh, you know, this is how. <laughs> In the, it, but that's not a, a good thing or a bad thing. It's just how it is. Um, it's, it's kind of like, a, yeah, I think it is a good thing and a bad thing. And uh, I'm learning about it. So at every step, I learn so much about it. And there's so much ahead to learn and so much that surprises me. And I, I remember when I was working on my, when, I, when the book had been acquired um, and the New York publishing scene is very... <laughs> Um, like in my in my very limited experience, it always blows my mind like how classy and uh, fancy it seems to mm -hmm. me because because that is not I just didn't anticipate that. Yeah, and I I remember um, at a certain point I would uh, sometimes have edits messengered to me, which <laughs> like like the actual noted up manuscript, like a bike messenger. Yeah, I guess a bike message yeah. the same day. But my editor would send them, and then the same day they would arrive to me. Yeah, and and this like never in my life had I had or have I since had anything messenger to me. That is so <laughs> fancy. And and I remember at one point saying like trying to make a joke to my editor and her assistant or a few editors, but I was like, I was like, well, no, you know, no wonder like publishing is having a tough time. You're, you're like spending all this money on, on messengers on same day or courier services. Uh -huh. like that. And everyone was just silent. Oh boy. I was boy. like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry. I meant it as a compliment. Man. I'm very impressed by it. Like, I, I'm so sorry. But it was like, there, there are conventions of how things are done that to me are quite mind blowing. And, uh, 
surprising. That's certainly. hilarious. I mean, I would have made that same joke too. And I mean, it's just like it's, it's, it's when things are so obvious to you, it's just it kind of it's funny. Even like when you go on their websites, like yeah. it looks like they're made in two thousand one and they haven't been updated since. <laughs> and it's like you know, again, I'm a little more sensitive to it because I was just so yeah. involved yeah. in trying to get this book out. But um, yeah. yeah, it's crazy. So I, I know you got a hard cutoff time. I feel like we could talk oh, for another two hours. Uh, maybe, oh my god, maybe, you're totally right. Yeah, maybe oh. let's try to definitely get you back on um, real quick. Let everyone know: Are you on Instagram, Twitter? Or are you part of that universe? I'm part of that universe, barely. Um, I, which is to say, I'm a very active lurker and I don't post very much. There so in is. many ways, I'm the ideal person to follow because I will like <laughs> everything that you post and <laughs> watch all of your stories. <laughs> and not comment. <laughs> and not comment. And, not, and sometimes comment, but I definitely not post any of my own content. Um, <laughs> so so I'm, I'm Julia Phillips writes on Instagram and uh, JKB Phillips at, on Twitter. Awesome. Yeah. And again, l- l- definitely try to get you back on everyone. Um, I love it. Yeah. You know, buy Julia's book, Disappearing Earth from your local bookstore, please. Uh, what's, yes. what's, what's your go-to bookstore in New York? My go-to bookstore is Greenlight Books, uh, Greenlight Bookstore in Brooklyn. We and love it. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. We love it. And we love Green the Apple best. Books in here in San Francisco. Um, yeah. Yeah. Dope. All right, Julia, thanks so much for taking the time to come talk with me. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, no, most definitely. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye. Later.